If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. Good evening, family. It's great to see you. You guys ready for the word? Excited that Jesus wants to speak to you and he wants to speak through you? Yes, yeah. I maybe should have posed that more like a question. But anyway, I want to start tonight with a story. But I'm going to see if I can actually remove this thing. Okay, I can. So on Friday morning, uh, our staff had a little bit of fun. So a lot of you uh, know Deirdre. She's one of our interns. And um, she's actually a javelin coach as well. She's right there in front. She's an epic coach. So if you want to be the next uh, South African gold-winning Olympian, uh, speak to Deirdre. Uh, she'll definitely organize you some lessons. So we had a little bit of fun as a staff, uh, went for an outing, uh, asked Deirdre to uh, teach us a little bit of javelin. We had a picnic, just enjoyed ourselves for a while. And um, it was definitely not a competition, I promise. It was definitely not a competition, but I do want to make it very clear that I did win, okay? <laughs> here's, here's how I know that. So things for me weren't going well, to be honest. Like I would throw my javelin, it would just like kind of me, like kind of right in front of me. You know, Donovan is like shooting this javelin and it's like soaring hundreds of meters through the air, you know, going really far. Um, and he didn't do it right because it would like bounce and flop and all of that. So stick with me, I really did win. And then I asked Deirdre, Deirdre, please, please come and stand with me. You, you are the javelin coach. Can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? You know, because I want to get this right. Now I want to... I want to win. There's like this competitive thing in me, even if it's not a competition, but there's this competitive thing in me that like surfaces in these moments. And Deirdre, she like uh, explains a bunch of things. She tells me, no, do this, do this. If you stand like this, you know, make sure you hold it right, tilt your body in the, the right direction. And then she says something really profound. And after she said this really profound statement, I began throwing like a champion, just saying. Like, things changed, and my very first, like, really amazing throw, no one saw. It was like, it, like, pegged so nicely into the dirt. I turned around to, like, be like, are you not entertained? And then no one was watching. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it again. I go pick up my javelin walk back to the starting mark, and I chuck this javelin, and it doesn't go far, I'm gonna be honest, it doesn't go very far, but in terms of technique, it's beautiful. Like my body does exactly what it's supposed to do, it arches through the sky, it does like the little, you know, tilt, and it lands in the dirt, beautiful. Wanna know what Deirdre said? She said, Aiden, so after all the like tech, you know, to the technique and, stand like this, you know, throw like that. She said, and last thing, Aiden, this is going to change the way you throw. She says, you see those clouds? There were like a bunch of clouds right there. She says, aim for the clouds. And I was like, okay, cool. Aim for the clouds. Throw the javelin. Don't stress too much, guys. <laughs> if you sleep tonight in my sermon, like, I want to chuck this thing at your head. She says, Aiden, Aim for the clouds. And I was like, okay, cool. Throw the javelin, soars through the air, the two meters that it soared, and it's beautiful, like lands in the dirt. 
There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 where Paul says the following. He says, make love your aim. He just spent like an entire chapter writing about the gifts, you know, and the manifestations of the Spirit, you know, in church. He's writing literally Church 101. What should a Christian do? What should a Christian life look like? And then he makes the statement where he says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he says, make love your aim. And that's actually what we want to preach about the next few weeks. I'm going to put this down because I might actually end up injuring someone. He says, make love your aim. If you've ever wondered, what the heck am I here for? Am I studying the right thing? Am I in the right job? Am I in the right city? That, my friend, those are secondary conversations. The very first conversation for someone who knows, loves, and follows Jesus is this. Make love your aim. We want to speak about love in action over these next few weeks. And I want to start with a question tonight. Would you care to venture, I guess, how many languages are there on earth? Hundreds? Thousands? A lot? I don't know. Ethnologue, which is an online language resource, it lists over 7,000 existing languages spoken across the world. I only know two, so I'm feeling like really uneducated. The English language, one that a lot of us speak, has three tenses, right? We speak about past, present, and future, and it has a bunch of variations in between, but get this. There is a language spoken in Papua New Guinea. Okay, I want to go there one day. But there's a language spoken here called Hikskariana. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It has over 60 tenses. Can you imagine that language paper when you're in high school and you're writing exams? And you say to your mom, mom, don't forget tomorrow I'm writing language, you know, paper two. So I'll see you next week when I'm done, you know, because I'm writing like 60 tenses. Isn't that crazy? They say Mandarin is like one of the most challenging languages to learn because we have 26 letters in our alphabet, right? Anything that we can say in our language is formed and made up of 26 letters. There's no more. Mandarin has over 1,000 characters <laughs> forming their alphabet. And get this, words can have different meanings simply based on the tone of voice that you use when speaking. Isn't that crazy? Not understanding the language, you know, when you're in a room and there's a language being spoken, not understanding the language can be hard, right? can feel alone, can feel excluding. And if I were to kind of summarize the, the work, the life of Jesus, what he came to do right, yes, you know, he died, paid for us and made it possible for us to know and walk and be in relationship with God the Father. But I would want to say Jesus introduced a new language, introduced a language called love. Unconditional love, merciful love, 
forgiving love, gracious love, empowering love, limitless love. He was known for how he loved people. But let's be honest. It's hard to love people sometimes, right? Some people are easy to love, and it's great. Some people are a little bit harder to love, but like once you get to know them, you know, then you're there. Some people are really, really hard to love. And some people are just impossible to love. Like don't look to the person next to you if that's them. But some people are hard to love. As I was preparing this sermon, I kind of got stuck in in a tangent because I wanted to give you some examples from my own life of people that I struggle to love, but that became a very long tangent. So I was like, okay, Aiden, backspace, backspace, backspace. Don't hate on home affairs. Don't hate on Sturkini Core. Like, don't hate on that restaurant. Like, caught myself in a moment where I was like, yo, I have a lot of people in my life that I sometimes really struggle to love. And we want to journey over these next few weeks on the idea of love in action making the love of God tangible and real to the world around me. Because if it is not love at the very core of God's nature and intent, then we have a problem. I brought tonight some fake Bible translations. So these aren't real translations, just saying. Because there's a verse really well known to us in Scripture, right? If I asked the question, John 3.16, I'm sure all of you would be like, yeah, 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 God so loved the world. Anyone who believes, oh, yeah, 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 it's that Sunday school verse. But that verse is so central to the Christian belief. And here is why the word love in that verse is so crucial because listen to the nice guy Christian Bible. So the NGCB translation says, or does not say, for God so liked the world that he gave his only son. That whoever is also nice will inherit eternal life. Praise God that's not in the Bible, right? Because you would not die for someone that you like. How about this? The angry God translation, the AGT, it says, for God was so angry with the world that he gave his only son. Doesn't work, right? It doesn't work because anger anger would simply seek vengeance. Anger wouldn't be interested in reconciliation. The real translation says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This sentence has so many layers because just quickly for a second, take that phrase, God so loved the world. And just put an emphasis on a different word each time you read it. So we start, God so loved the world. The maker of the universe loved what he created. God so loved the world to this extent that you're going to read in a second by him giving his son. God so loved the world. Not like, not mildly kind of enjoy, loves. God so loved the world. Everyone, anyone, anyone and everyone made in his image, he loves. You see, what would make God go so far as to send himself as a man 
in his son Jesus to die if it were not for love. You see, we often get stuck in the mentality that Jesus had to die because of sin, right? And that's not wrong. Sin was there. Sin needed payment. You know, God needed to, to bring about judgment on sin. But if it was only about sin, then God could have just wiped out humanity and been done with us because then there would be no one left to sin, right? Love motivated God to give himself to build the bridge, to make it possible for you and me to know his love for ourselves firstly. And that has to be your starting point. If that's not your starting point, the rest of this sermon will mean nothing to you. You'll get stuck in religion. You'll be tired. You'll feel guilty. You need to know and understand tonight. God so loved you that he sent his son. But he wants his love to work through you into this church, into the city, and into the nations. If we consider how God goes about love, we have to consider just Jesus' journey with his disciples, right? So Jesus had kind of three moments or, or phases with his disciples. Firstly, it was his invitation where he would find people, he would tell them, follow me. That's often how a rabbi went about acquiring students. He would find someone and tell them, listen, follow me, learn from me. I have some things that I can teach you. Then there's a second phase, a demonstration phase. Because sitting under a rabbi is not just head knowledge, but it's an invitation to come and do life alongside my rabbi. I do what he does. I watch his life. I take into consideration how he works in this world, and I learn from that. It's very practical. And then thirdly, there's the commissioning, where Jesus has died, he's risen from the grave, and he wants to send his disciples on this mission of teaching the world a new language, the language of love. He says to his disciples in John 13, uh, verse 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So instead of giving them the Torah, Instead of giving them hundreds of laws to follow and obey and teach others, he summarizes the entire kind of ideology of who he is, what they are supposed to go and translate to the rest of the world. He summarizes in one commandment, love people. Love them like I have loved you. You see, again, it's important that you need to know how God loves you. Because if you don't know the way God loves you, the extent of it, you won't be able to live out the mission of loving others. But he doesn't just invite them. He doesn't just kind of demonstrate to them. He doesn't just commission them, but he empowers them. He tells them, I'm going to give you a helper to help you teach other people the new language 
that I've taught you, the language of love. Acts 1 verse 8, it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now we reach the book of Acts, which I love. We're going to be looking at certain passages in the book of Acts over the next few weeks. And I just want to say it is named the Acts of the Apostles so perfectly. Why? Because they acted it out. They took what they experienced and they put it into action. Hence, the book in your Bible is called Acts. He tells them, I'm going to give you power. I'll send you a helper so that you can teach other people the new language. Our passage for tonight is Acts chapter 2, verse 2 to 8. It's a famous portion of scripture. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We find the disciples huddled together in a room, kind of uncertain. You know, they just witnessed the most insane things in history. Jesus died, stayed dead for three days, rose again, walked through walls, you know, kind of met with them for meals. And then he tells them he's going to go again. He's going to go back to his father but he's going to give them the Holy Spirit and that they should wait for the Holy Spirit. Then Acts chapter 2 happens. The Holy Spirit pitches up, radically fills the disciples, a miracle happens, which we're going to speak about in a second, and this passage of Scripture is famous because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and rightly so. It's famous because this chapter in your Bible tells the story of the birth of the church, and rightly so. But this passage, my friend, is actually way more radical if you look at it from the vantage point of love. Here's why. You see, the miracle of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit rests in this one moment towards the end of this passage where it says, that all the different people from all the different cultures, all the different languages, all the different nations suddenly heard these 12 men preaching the gospel to them in what? Their own language. It's not referencing the spiritual gift of tongues, which is great. It mentions that they were suddenly given a supernatural ability to speak an already existing language. These people suddenly hear the gospel in a language that's familiar to them. And that, my friend, that is what love does. Love seeks to speak the language that is familiar to this person so that they can understand, so that they can grasp, so that they can know. It is such an incredible moment. You see, the first moment in history where we kind of get a glimpse as to this language that God speaks, the language of love, is when Jesus died. Why? Because you won't sacrifice yourself for something you don't love, right? You won't give of yourself to something that you just like. 
Now, let's remember, Jesus loved everyone, for sure. Doesn't mean he liked everyone. <laughs> Many references in Scripture about Jesus being angry, maybe even a little bit sarcastic, you know, kind of digging into the Pharisees about not understanding. We even have a reference in Matthew where he, in anger, chases people out of the temple, right? I don't think he liked them in that moment, but he for sure loved them. The second moment, that's the first moment, Jesus dying, where we get a glimpse into this new language. The second moment where we get a glimpse of the language that God speaks is in Acts chapter 2, where people are suddenly, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach the gospel. People get saved. They hear the word of God in a language that's familiar to them. And we see the fact that it was God's intent all along to speak a language to his children that we will get, that will understand, that will change us. And the language is not do better. The language is not be a bigger and better Christian. The language is not law. The language that God speaks is love. And then the invitation is take this love. Take how I love you and mirror that. Reveal it. Showcase it. Make it public. And that's what we're going to journey through for this series. You see, to speak the same language of God, the language of love, means three things. To love like God loves is three things. Three distinct actions. It's to include, it's to go beyond, and it's to bear fruit. Let's talk about the first one. Love is to include. You see, the Jews were excellent at excluding because they grew up generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation hearing that they are the special chosen ones. They are the holy priesthood set apart by God. Only they can know the God of heaven. They were used to this. They were used to belonging to their own little special community. You know, those outside the community, they worship idols. They're pagans. They don't know the true way. We know the true way. And suddenly in this moment, in Acts chapter 2, what do we see? Galilean men, Jews, what? Suddenly opening up the biggest secret and reveal in history up until this point where they say, my friend, you from a different language, you from a different culture, guess what? You're included. You can also know God. Let me tell you about him in a language even that's familiar to you. You see, we're very natural at excluding people, right? We exclude people based on the actual language that they speak. We exclude people maybe based off of something that they did, based off of where they come from. 
but to love like God loves means I recognize that no one, yes, no one is exempt from the mercy of Jesus. The person who wronged you, for me, I was like the guy at home affairs that I got into a screaming match with to get my passport to go to Lesotho, that guy for sure. Maybe that person who stole something from you. Maybe that person who did you serious harm. No one is excluded anymore. That is what the moment in Acts chapter 2 represents. Suddenly the parameters shifted from Jerusalem to Samaria to Judea and to the nations. To love like God loves, it's to include. The second one, it's to go beyond. Because I'm willing to bet that on a cerebral level, we are comfortable with the idea of love being inclusive, right? Because it doesn't ask anything of me yet, technically. You know, I can just kind of realize, okay, y'all, no one is exempt. You know, everyone can meet Jesus. The beggar in the streets, the waitress in the restaurant, that, that member of my family that's really far from God, on a cerebral level, will agree to that. But then secondly, we see something in this passage in Acts chapter 2 that is going to make you and me uncomfortable if you love and follow Jesus. It's to go beyond. What does that mean? Love goes beyond my preference. Because guess what? Jews did not prefer to mix with non-Jews. It was awkward. It was even illegal before this. They had to go beyond their preference. They had to go beyond what's comfortable. Love goes beyond my comfort. Imagine this. They were probably very uncomfortable preaching the gospel to people that come from a completely different culture, completely different language, completely different set of ideals and going about life. But he goes beyond, stretches me to go beyond what's comfortable. Love goes beyond my capacity. You see, later on in this chapter, we read how Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved right then and there. I promise you, these 12 men, these 12 ordinary, mostly uneducated, not very special men were not prepared for 3,000 people in starting point that day, for sure. But did they say, listen, sorry guys, we didn't anticipate that the need would be this great. So please come back next week. Next week, we will have put a structure in place to help you guys. Next week, we would have figured it out. Next week, we would have had an opportunity to have a meeting, you know, and plan and arrange as to how the heck are we suddenly going to disciple 3,000 of you. No. It says that day they were added to the church. 3,000 people. Love goes beyond 
goes beyond my preference, goes beyond what's comfortable, and it goes beyond my capacity. Think of a moment of that person or those people that you struggle to love. It's hard. For whatever reason, whether it's colleagues, family members, that lecturer, think of someone that you struggle to love. Can you see their value? Because at the end of the day, that is what made God die himself because he saw value. Love looks beyond to what a person is doing and it looks at their value, who they could become. And it engages with that person based off of that assessment. Not what you do, not what you look like, not your education, not your bank balance. Love sees value and acts accordingly. I didn't bring it with me, but there's a C.S. Lewis quote that actually says, you've never met an ordinary person, actually. You've never met a mortal being. You've only ever in your life met immortal souls that within them carry the image of God, the inherent value that the maker of the universe placed on them. That's who you meet in pick and pay, the lady checking out your groceries. She has value. That's the person that wronged you. Maybe they were really wrong, and that's a different sermon. But at the very center, every single person you meet is someone that God values. Lastly, love brings fruit. In this chapter, Acts 2, verse 43 to 47, we read, All came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were being done. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions to the needy. Day by day, they were in the temple together, breaking bread, receiving their food with joy, praising God, having favor, and the Lord continued to add. So this is what happens when a community of believers, one, grasp the love that God has for them, and then two, puts that into action. Communities are transformed. It brings a togetherness. It cultivates generosity. They experience meaningful community. They are led to worship God. They enjoy favor. And I love this last one. It always creates space for more. Love creates space for more people. I want to end with this. I want to make it practical. How can you be a part of taking the love of God that he has for you and putting it into action, into this church and into this city. Bloemfontein's population currently uh, around about, it's north of half a million people. It's crazy, right? 600,000 people approximately. 
that live in the city of Blum. If you actually just stretch that a bit wider to the Mangaung metro, it's close to a billion people. Or a million people, sorry, a million people. It's like, whoa. Yeah, like a sixth of the world population living in Mangaung, no, Aiden. But close to a million people living in the Mangaung metro. And if you're part of this church, you will hear a lot. We don't believe that we are just church for the sake of being church. We believe in the Doxodeo family that God has called us to pastor a city, to pastor the city of Bloemfontein, to look at the pain, to look at the lostness, to look at the brokenness, and to say, you know what? I'll do something about it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Aiden, we will never, ever change the lives of 600,000 people. Like, that is physically impossible. And you're right, probably not. I don't know. Maybe I have little faith, but let's be like a little bit realistic, but probably not. But the reality is, if you change the life of one person, that person's world changes. We're sometimes hesitant because we go, I'll never be able to change the whole world. But if you change the life of one person, for them, that's their whole world. This is why in our church, we believe in something like generosity. We're going to be speaking about this over the next few weeks a little bit more because this is one, one of the really practical ways in which you can take the love that God has for you and put it into action to meet the need in our city when it comes to the pain, the lostness, and the brokenness. So what does generosity do? Generosity sees value in people. We look at schools, and then we go, these children have distinct God-like image-bearing value and we want to be a small part in bringing that to them. Generosity looks at babies that are left on rubbish heaps, which has happened to our church a lot. And we say, you know what? This baby that was thrown in the dumpster has value. We will take this baby and care for it at our baby home called Alpizo. We'll put up our hand and say, we will love this child. Generosity looks for people of value, that's everyone, but it looks for people in our city that deserve a chance. Maybe life dealt them a bad deck, and something like pop-up looks for people that we can partner with, train them, educate them, help them find a job so that they can contribute to their community and to society. Generosity looks at our city and it goes, yes, it's a big need. Yes, there's a lot of pain. Yes, there's a lot of brokenness. But you know what? I will put up my hand to do something about it. I'll give my time. I'll give my energy. I'll bring my talents. I'll bring my resources. And tonight I want to take a moment, 
you'll see there's a little form like this on your chair. And tonight I want to take a, a moment and I want to ask you, would you in faith consider with us in this next season whether or not you should start contributing to our generosity fund? The, way, the reason why we work with debit orders, it's simply so that we can budget and make a plan. This is not to pressure you. This is not to bring down the judgment of God upon you. Because guess what? If you contribute or not, God loves you anyway, okay? There's nothing you do or don't do that makes God love you less. But I want to invite you. Won't you contribute? I know students in our evening service that give 70 rand a month. And it's beautiful. I know students in our evening service that give less, and it's beautiful. I know some of our young working adults in this service that contribute four, five hundred rand a month, and it's beautiful, but it's not about how much you give. It's about whether your heart is burdened and bought into the things that God cares about, the people that He values the people that he died for, the people that he is actively working through the church, through you and me, to reveal to them their value and how much he loves them. So if you would consider in faith to become a part of what God is doing through this church in this city, you're welcome to fill in that form. You can drop it in the giving box because it's a way to take God's love into action. Over the next few weeks, we're going to highlight just some of the ministries uh, that we actually fund through our generosity fund, some of the love in action happening in our city. And um, tonight, I actually just want to highlight our tree process. So I'm going to show you a video in a second, but we believe in serving the schools in our city. Why? Because students and teachers have value. They have a need. They need to be developed and ministered to and encouraged and supported. And actually tonight, we have a few special guests uh, and partners that are a part of our tree process in the city. So we have uh, tree workers that we employ, but I want to thank and highlight some people tonight that are a part of our tree process and they don't get paid a cent. <laughs> they just love Jesus, so they want to give their time to actually serving the schools in our city to make the love of God actionable. So I'm going to invite you to stand. It's going to be awkward for a few of you, but I want to highlight and just thank, because um, we want to pray for them, some of our tree volunteers uh, in our evening service family. So if this is you, Please stand. I want to invite Joshua Jacoby. He's right here. There we go. Josh Nolwandle, my friend, please stand. Anya Marie Furi, I saw you somewhere. There we go. Uh, we have actually two guests uh, from our friends, the Baptist Church. So I'm going to invite Carla and Marnay to stand as well. They were especially excused from their church service tonight so that we can thank you and pray for you. I want to invite Bianca to stand. She's a social worker in one of our primary schools that we are very much involved in. And then I want to invite, if you're a teacher, please stand. If you are in any way involved in schools, 
please stand. And then also, if you're studying education, I want you to stand because we want to take a moment and pray for you because you are busy pastoring our city. You are busy making the love of God actionable, taking what you've experienced and sharing that in a familiar language. So can I invite us, uh, in a moment, we'll give you some more info on tree, but I want to pray for these individuals. So if there's someone kind of close to you or next to you, why don't you just stretch out your hand to them? We want to pray for you guys. You are our very special guest and partner tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are equipping and calling us to be a part of what you are busy with. Jesus, we invite you uh, to, you know, to really just bless these people uh, in the processes where they are. Uh, Father, give them the boldness, the courage, the strength to do what they do, to do it really well. And um, Father, we thank you just for what you will be busy unleashing in our schools in the next season. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.